Today in our gospel reading, we hear about the wedding in Cana. We hear this reading so many times in weddings, and so we kind of have become numb to the nuances and the beauty behind that passage. So today, instead of just focusing on wedding and marriages, I want to focus on the little nuances and significance of the things in the gospel reading today. We hear the comment made by the innkeeper that at a wedding you bring out the good wine and so then after everyone is kind of dazed, a little buzzed, you bring out an inferior wine so they don't know the difference. But wine here in our gospel reading today plays a very significant and important role because wine in the Old Testament is a symbol of abundance, of an exhilaratingness of the divine life. So when we look at that statement made by the innkeeper, we're told that in human life, we go out looking for things, thinking that it's going to bring us joy and happiness. But instead, what does it really do for us? It puts us in a buzz and a daze, seeking for more. But when we go out to look for it, what do we end up really receiving? We receive a sense of emptiness, a sense of loneliness, and a sense of purposelessness. So what are we really trying to get at today? We hear the reading come from the Gospel of John. John begins this miracle in the first part of his book, which most scholars will call a book of signs, pointing towards something. And John is pointing us towards what is anew, what we can become. So what are we really becoming then, my dear brothers and sisters? If we look at just that image of the wine tomb, I had the opportunity to go to Cana a couple years ago and got to actually be in Cana and witness and see how big those tombs for purification are. I, I was thinking to myself, maybe this is just a little jar, a little, you know, tub, whatever. This stone jar was about six feet tall and about four foot in diameter. And I'm thinking to myself, you had all of that wine for a wedding celebration. But that symbolism of that tomb of wine, that symbolism of the wine being water changing into wine, illustrates for us the conversion and change in our own lives. That Jesus came to us to bring us joy because no wine can truly allow us to enter into the divine life. Because when the innkeeper said there is no wine at a wedding, it's something shameful. It's something that everyone would look down upon on that family. But what is subtle is when we understand it in the cultural context, wine illustrates the people of Israel on how they've left and disconnected themselves from God and they've run away from that union. 
So their whole life, these Israelite people have lived a life of emptiness and they're searching for something. They know within their hearts they're looking for something. And for us, now looking at the big picture, we learn that it is the joy of God, that union with God. But how many of us are really willing to enter and accept that? Because it's so uncomfortable for us. It's so inconvenient for us. Because we hear in our first reading today, Isaiah quotes, As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. So he records, reiterates that for us by saying, As a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. So I would like to invite you, my dear brothers and sisters, to go back into your memory. Think of the first day when you saw your significant other. The first day in which you met your significant other. What was the feeling going on in you? What was going on deep down in you when you first met them? Most people would describe that as this bubbly feeling in the gut, this uncomfortableness, and this difficulty to come and even engage into a conversation with them. Sometimes that is the feeling that we have with God. We're so afraid to come and engage into that conversation, engage in God, and connect with Him. But yet we're reminded from the reading of Isaiah that God has been searching for us. He's ready to be in relationship with us, and He's looking for us every day of our lives to bring us joy. But that joy is eternal that joy is everlasting and that joy endures above all things and over all things. My, my favorite thing to do when I meet with couples is ask them stories, crazy stories that they've done for love. I remember one time my dad sharing with me after work on a Friday he was so exhausted and tired from a 40-hour week. But because of love and because his relationship with my mom, he decides to get into a car and drive eight and a half hours up to Missouri to see her for the weekend. And then on Monday, or Sunday night, drive eight and a half hours back to do it. And one, one story he shares with me very vividly one day he was so tired and that the trip, the route he took up to Missouri was a two-lane empty highway. And so during the night, there was nothing on that road except him for miles. So what he would do is set the car in cruise control and drive in between both lanes. And he said if he saw lights in his rearview mirror, it would startle him, wake him up, and he'd get back into his lane. And we think about it and hear it and we say, that's kind of crazy, that's kind of reckless. But that is the love in which God has for us. It is a reckless love for you and I. He seeks us and searches for us every day to bring us that love and that joy. But how many times are we really willing to be loved? 
to embrace that love. Because I had, I had an interesting encounter with one of the school kids. He asked me, Father, I, I hear that you have to wake up in seminary early. And I was like, yeah, we ha- I have to get up at 6, 6.30. And he looks at me and says, Father, I can't do that. That's too difficult for me. And I kind of smiled and looked at him and said, when you love something so much, you're willing to risk it all. You're willing to stretch out to reach it and achieve it. So what are we wanting, my dear brothers and sisters? We're all wanting to seek joy. We all want to be happy. We all want to be loved. But that joy and that love rest in God and in God himself. And I can remind you, I can tell you in so many different ways, but it's only in your own encounter do you find it, do you experience it, and you come to know it. We could sit around and say, yes, I feel joyful, I feel happy. But do we honestly, truly feel and experience God's joy and God's love? Because at the end of the day, some of us will go home and say, we're joyful, we're happy. But yet deep down in our hearts and deep down in our own true reality, we're miserable, we're unhappy, we're self-loathing, and we're sitting on our couch miserable and unhappy. There is joy, my dear brothers and sisters. There is purpose for everything that we do. And it's all in and through God and through God himself. If he can change water into wine, if he can touch those and convert and purify those, imagine how much he can change us, how much joy he can bring into our lives because that toast, that vase that, has, that was changed from water to wine is not just a small little vase, a small little container. Think of it, it's six foot by four foot, my dear brothers and sisters. Our lowly hearts can be overfilled with that joy and can be changed. But are we willing, are we really wanting to seek out that joy? Or are we content with that joy, that buzz of that limitless, limited joy, that limited amount of happiness? Or do we want to be joyful and happy and excited and zealous for our Lord every day of our lives? Amen.